Well, good morning. Uh, it's good to see you this morning. Uh, my name is Penny, and I'm the pastor here. If you're a guest or visitor, welcome. We are glad that you're with us. And we are uh, looking at John 17 this morning, John 17. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there um, to John 17. You can also follow along in your order of service. And what we're going to be looking at is the last portion of Jesus's high priestly prayer. So uh, for the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at this prayer that Jesus offers up to his people on behalf of his people for his church. And this morning, we come to the end of it. Next week, we'll be back in Exodus. You remember, we, we stopped in Exodus right before the people of God were about to leave the, the uh, land of Egypt and cross the sea. Um, we stopped in that, it, it feels like years ago, but it was really just at the end of the spring. We'll return to that starting next Sunday. But, but this morning, we, uh, before we get there, we need to look at this last portion of Jesus' prayer for his church. So let's go ahead and read. Follow along, please, beginning in verse 20. Jesus prays, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I don't know uh, how many of you have read the book uh, Into the Wild. Have, have any of you all read that? Uh, just, wow, the rigs and a couple others. So uh, Into the Wild is this wonderful book by uh, John Krakauer. It's uh, based on the true story about a, a man, a young man named Chris McCandless. It was made into a movie as well. Maybe, maybe you've seen the movie if you haven't read the book. But regardless, uh, this story is the depiction of this young man who is an honors graduate from Emory University. He grew up not far from here in northern Virginia in a family of wealth of great privilege. Uh, somewhere along the way, as he was growing up, as he was in college, shortly after college, he became very disenchanted with the world around him. He looked at the world that he was living in and the world that he was graduating into, and he, he wanted nothing to do with it. He wanted to forsake uh, com consumerism. He wanted to forsake relationships. He wanted to forsake friendships. He just wanted to be on his own. And so shortly after he graduated from college, he sells his car, he, he gives away all his possessions, he takes his entire savings, a little over $20,000, which I'm like, man, what college student has $20,000 in the bank? Um, if you want to give it away, please come talk to me. But anyway, um, but a little over $20,000, he just gives away and he starts wandering. He starts walking. He starts heading west because he's going to go to Alaska and he's going to live in Alaska for a time all by himself in the wilderness. He's gathered with him survival books and different equipment. He's going to try and survive on his own in the Alaskan wilderness. 
He's given up all his relationships. He cut off ties with family. He didn't tell them where he was going. He cut off ties with friends. He didn't need any of them. He wanted to be on his own. There's a romance to the lone wanderer, isn't there? There's a romance to that, the the one who's just out there, just alone with his thoughts, on his own, just to think and to ponder, to consider, to just walk the next step, to not be hindered or tied down to anything, be it relationship or responsibility. There's a romance to it. Well, he's wandering out west, and somewhere along the way, he starts interacting with various people. He comes in contact, these brief interludes on his trip. And in the midst of one of these instances, someone asked him, why are you doing this? Why would you forsake all these relationships, all these families, all these friendships? And this is what he said. You are wrong if you think that the joy of life comes principally from the joy of human relationships. God's place is all around us. It is in everything and in anything we can experience. What do you think about that? Now, just because he invoked the name of God there doesn't uh, indicate religious faith. In fact, from, the, from his journals, from, uh, from the movie, you don't get any sense that he was a Christian. Maybe he was, but, but that's not the kind of thing that he's talking about. He's not talking about robust Christian faith here. What do you think about that? To live on your own? completely unencumbered, completely free from relationship. I mean, do we, do we need relationship for human joy, for life, for experience? There is a romance to it. I mean, our culture prizes this idea, doesn't it? That, that we can lead independent lives and we can find meaning and satisfaction, joy and purpose on our own. I mean, who needs relationships? Maybe Paul Simon was right. Maybe he was right when he's saying, I have no need for friendship. For friendship causes pain. I have my books and my poetry to protect me. I touch no one, and no one touches me. I am a rock. Was he right? I touch no one, and no one touches me. Is that the way we were meant to live? Now, I imagine that most of us wouldn't go to these sorts of extremes. I imagine many of you aren't don't have the pack ready and you're going to head home and and just kind of walk into the wilderness this afternoon. I imagine none of us would say, no one touches me and I touch no one. We wouldn't go to these extremes and yet we've adopted a functional individualism that helps to keep people at bay, to keep people just far enough so that we don't really have to be known and we really don't have to know anyone else. And we do this not just in casual relationships, we often do this even with our Christian faith, right? It's just me and Jesus, that's all I need. And the Christian life is nothing less than me and Jesus, but it is so much more. It is nothing less than that, don't hear what I'm not saying, but it is so much more. You see, the Bible teaches that individuals are saved out of sin, and are delivered into righteousness, but we are not just delivered into righteousness, we're delivered into a people, a community. We're delivered into relationship, into Christ's body. That's the analogy that the Apostle Paul uses, that we are God's body, Christ's body, that we are knitted together, that we are united as one people. And that's what Jesus is talking about in this passage. As he prays for us, he is giving us a robust reality that is not 
limiting our appropriation of the biblical witness to individual faith, but instead to a communal faith, that we're united together. In fact, three times in the first four verses of this prayer, Jesus explicitly speaks of the union that we have with each other, that we are united to each other. Look at how he begins the prayer. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. That they may be one. Did you hear that? That they may be one. The gospel message calls us out of an individualized, privatized understanding of our faith into a community, a communal faith that is one. Even our assurance of pardon, did you hear it this morning? After we confessed our sins, what was declared over us? from 1 Peter chapter 2. You are a holy nation, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a people for his own possession. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. We're not our own, but we belong to Christ, but we also belong to one another. We've been united to each other, but why? Why does God unite us to one another? Well, Jesus tells us it's for the sake of love. We see it in verse 23. He says, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world will may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. And then in verse 26, he says, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them. Okay, think about that. That, that is just mind-boggling, y'all. That the perfect love that exists between father and son is what we are brought into. That, that we share in the love that the father has for the son and the son has for the father. That is the kind of love that the father showers upon us. That's what Jesus said in verse 26. The love with which you have loved me may be in them. That, that love would be at the center of who we are. The New Testament theologian D.A. Carson, he put it this way. He said, The unity of the disciples shows Christians themselves have been caught up into the love of the Father for the Son, secure and content and fulfilled because loved by the Almighty himself with the very same love he reserves for his Son. That at the center of who we are is love. I mean, Jesus even said it. In John chapter 13, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love, if you have love for one another. Do you wonder if you're residing in God? If you're residing and abiding in his love? Do you love his people? That's what Jesus said. That the primary mark of Christian faith is that we would love. Now listen, we, we're good, reformed people, and so we have big theological heads, right? We have big theological heads, and sometimes, right, like it kind of gets us off balance, right? <laughs> but here's the thing, apart, like all that's really good. Theological knowledge is extremely important, and it is nothing apart from love. Right? That's what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13. Right? I could speak with the angels' tongues. I could, I could have a trumpet call, but it is all for naught if I do not love. Jesus said, they'll know you're my disciples if you love one another. 
that that is at the heart of what we're to be, a loving, united people, a loving, united community. That the love of the Father for the Son is the love of the Son for us. So this means at least two things. It means a lot of things, but it means at least two things. That if we're going to live as a united, loving community, it means that we have to know one another and we have to be known by one another. You have to be known and you have to know. Now, I'm not just saying, like, you know each other's names, right? Like, I can read your name tags. <laughs> Thanks, Bob. Uh, I'm not wearing mine. Sorry. <laughs> Ugh, shame. Um, but it, it means a deep and abiding knowledge, right? It means knowing one another, our, our joys and our hopes. It means knowing our sadnesses and our pains, our struggles and our hurts. It means knowing one another. So how are we going to do this? Well, well the easiest way to do this is to commit yourself to being in a place where you will be known. Because, look, the, the reality is, is that, that we can't know each other, everyone here, in the same way, right? Like, like I, I only have so much capacity, and so do you, right? We can't know everyone at the same level and the same depth, so we have to be committed to one another in, in specific places and specific ways. And so, so join a community group. It's pretty easy. Join a community group where we take a... a a uh, small to medium-sized but growing church, and we make it knowable. Where you have a group of people, 10 or 12, where you can know them and invest in them. Join a community group. If you miss the sign-up, don't worry. You can still sign up. Call us. We will sign you up. And if you can't make a community group, then, then be in a Bible study or a men's group or go to women's Bible study. Youth, be committed to going to youth group going to breakfast club, and going to the girls' Bible site. Guys, this is really important for us. We have to be in one another's lives. That if we are going to be united as God's people, we have to know one another. So who knows you? Does anyone know you? Because that's not what we we're meant to be. I know we could give off a whole lot of reasons why we can't. I don't have time. My job is busy. I have little kids. I live, I live 30 minutes away. What, whatever it might be, we can make a whole host of excuses, but that's all they are. Who knows you? To be a loving, united community, it means that we have to be known and we have to know. But it also means that we actually are to give ourselves for the sake of the community. That's what Jesus says. That's what he talks about that we are to give of ourselves. We see it in verse 23. He's talking about the love of the Father. He says that the world may know that you have sent me and love them even as you have loved me. So how is it that the Father has loved us? Well, he has loved us by sending his Son. He has loved us by giving of his Son for our sake. And how is it that Jesus loved us? By giving of himself. Right? That's what he said. No greater love is man than this, that one should lay down his life for his friends, and you are my friends. That that is the kind of love that God has shown to us, that for our sake he gave his son. The most famous verse in all the Bible, right? John 3, 16, God so loved, he gave. He gave exactly what we needed. Jesus gave of himself on the cross 
Because that is exactly what we needed. He gave. And so as we live out this love for one another, it means giving ourselves for the sake of one another. That's what Paul says in Philippians 2. In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. That that's how we are to live amongst one another. And I've seen you all do this. Let's go back to community groups. I mean, just over the last couple of weeks, I've seen it. Some of y'all, you, you look around and you say, you know, there's new people coming and we have visitors and we have new people wanting to join the church and we need to give a way for them to be connected in a knowing way, in a deep way. And so some of y'all in your community groups made the hard decision of forming new ones. That, that is a hard decision, y'all. Like, don't discount that. To say, I've been with these people for years and I love them and they love me and yet for the sake of others... We're going to split up and we're going to open up space for new people. That's exactly what we're supposed to be doing. Not to hoard those relationships selfishly, but to give of ourselves for the sake of others. That's what Christ did for us and that's what we are to do for one another. That out of an outworking of love, we would consider the needs of others as more important than our own. That we are united together for the sake of love. And what is amazing is that as we live out this unity, we are actually a witness to the world. We are a witness to the truth of the gospel. That's where Jesus takes us. It's not just for love, but it's also for witness that we have been united together. Look at verse 23 again. Jesus says, I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love me even as you loved me. And you love them even as you love me. That is amazing. Our unity together is a testimony to the truthfulness of the gospel. It is a testimony to the truthfulness that Jesus was sent from the Father. So you remember last week we talked about um, being a distinct presence in the midst of the world, right? That we're supposed to be distinct from the world even as we're surrounded by it. Well, this is one of the ways that we are distinct, I actually saved it for this week because I knew what was coming. (laughs) This is how we're distinct, that we're united together. I mean, think about how different that is from the world that we live in. I mean, would you describe our world as one that is united? Right? It is a world that is fractured along political lines and that is split along racial and ethnic lines and is divided over socioeconomic and educational lines, right? I mean, we have uh, leaders and movements of people who are, who are actually trying to take hold and maintain power, not by creating unity, but by, by creating division. And so in a parched land of division, what people long for is the cooling water of unity and is found in us in the church, that we would be a people regardless of age or sex or education or socioeconomic standing or race or ethnicity, that we would be a people united together, one people in the midst of disunity, that that's who we are meant to be. And as we live this out, we are reflecting the goodness of God. We are reflecting the 
the future promise that God has shown us. I mean, think about what is going to happen when Jesus returns and establishes the new heavens and the new earth. Every tribe and every tongue and every nation and every race and every ethnicity will be gathered around the kingdom and with one voice will be united together. Singing, glory be the Lamb. That is not just a future hope, it is to be a present reality. That this is what we are to embody. That this is who we are to be, a united people. Now listen, this doesn't mean that we're all going to all of a sudden agree on everything. That you become a Christian, you enter into God's kingdom, you become a member at CTK, and all of a sudden, poof, you wake up the next morning and we all agree politically. You all start wearing bow ties, though you probably should, um, right? That, that's not what it means. It doesn't mean that, that we're going to agree on how we're going to educate our kids. And it shouldn't. It doesn't mean that we're going to all agree on what, what constitutes good music and bad music, popular music and classical music. We're all not going to agree on what entertainment we should consume, right? If, if it simply meant that we became a homogenous group, then there would be nothing distinct from us in the world. No, that doesn't stand out from the world. It's duplicating it. A witnessing uni unity isn't homogeneity. It's not a, a, a vanillaizing of all of our differences. It means that despite our differences, we are still united. I got to be honest with you, it's just a lot easier to live with people who agree with you. Right? I mean, the world would be a better place if everybody just thought the way I thought. <laughs> At least for a nanosecond, it would be a better place, in my mind. <laughs> in my world, right? It's a lot easier to just be with people who look like you, talk like you, think like you, vote like you, watch the same shows you watch, read the same books you read. It'd just be a lot easier, wouldn't it? And so it'd be easy for us to just kind of disregard that and just go look for people who are like us. But that's not what we're called to. That's not what we're called to. And, and friends, I recognize this is hard because, to be honest with you, um, I, I'm not the easiest person to be around sometimes. I know it is hard for you to believe. I know you're sitting there thinking, Penny, you're way too hard on yourself. You're awesome. You're wonderful. You're fun, right? And you'd be right, like, 90% of the time. But no, I'm just kidding. Right? Ask my kids. I'm just kidding. Right? I can be grumpy and moody. I can be very curt with my words. And I can allow anxiety to fill my heart, and it manifests itself in fear, and that fear manifests itself in control. Control not just of myself, but of others. I'm not always the easiest person to be around. And you know what? Neither are y'all. <laughs> because all those things I just said, I mean, that's the same with many of y'all. We, except for Bob. <laughs> but it's true. We are not the easiest pe people to live with. And yet, that is what Christ has called us to do. To live together in unity, regardless of difference. 
You see, it, it, it means, it doesn't mean that vanillaizing, it means that regardless of difference, even these secondary issues, which at times are very important and we should wrestle over and talk about and discuss and maybe even argue at times, we should, we should, it doesn't mean we ignore those things, it means that despite our differences, we are still united together. Because there is something more foundational and more primary to us than those differences. And that is the fact that we are united to Christ. You see, the reason why we are united to one another is because we are deeply united to Christ. That is primarily who we are. And that's where Jesus takes us. That's where he goes in this passage. Look at the language that he uses in verse 21. They also may be in us. Verse 22, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them. In verse 23, I in them. Verse 24, they may be with me. Verse 26, I in them. Christ is in us. That by the means of his Holy Spirit, he resides in his people. That Think about that for a second. So the, the, the Son and the Spirit are so united together that when the Spirit inhabits the believer, that we can say Jesus inhabits us, that he resides in us. That's what he said, I in them. That is crazy. And yet that's what he said. He abides in us. He is with us. He is closer than we even recognize and we can even acknowledge. Now I know about y'all. But there are times when, when I've thought, I know Jesus abides with me, but man, I would love it if he were just right here right now, like physically. I wish I could hear his voice. I wish I could um, smell his breath as he speaks to me, that he'd be that close. I wish I could see the way in which he's leading and directing I wish he could put his hand on my shoulder in those times of worry. I wish I could feel those things. I wish, I wish he was here, right here, right now. Right? I mean, if, if I was like the disciples and I walked with Jesus, then I wouldn't be struggling with this sin anymore. And, and the anger that I feel towards my brother, it would be gone. And the, the frustration towards my sister, well, that would be no more. And the anxiety that I fear, it would, it would all just fade away if you were just here, right now, present. Y'all ever thought that? Of course you have. We've all thought that. That if we could hear his voice and see him, then things would be so much different. If he could be that close. And yet, what does he tell us? He is with us. I in them. In John chapter 16, right before this prayer, what does he say to his disciples as they're, he's preparing them for his departure? He says to this, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Think about that for a second. It's to your advantage that I leave you. How can he say that? Well, he goes on. For if I do not go away, the helper, who is the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. What he's saying is that through the Holy Spirit, Jesus is closer to us now than he ever was. You want to hear his voice? It's written in the pages of his word. You want to 
To know the truth, his spirit is convicting us of it. You want to know his care? It's found in his people bearing with us. And Jesus is with us. He is near to us. This is amazing. It's so amazing because remember earlier I said how easy it would be to disassociate ourselves from one another? Like when we sin against each other, wouldn't it just be easier to just wipe our hands and walk away? And that's just the little sins we commit against one another. But think about what we've done to Jesus. The ways we've treated our relationship with him. I mean, every sin against a brother is a sin against him, not just our brother. And every curt word is a word against Christ. And every fear-filled thought is, is a concern that maybe he's not enough. And yet, Jesus doesn't turn from us. Even though we might be quick and prone to turn from him, he does not turn from us. He does not disassociate from us. Listen to what he says in verse 24. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you have loved me before the foundation of the world. To see his glory, that's what he's praying that we would behold it. Do you remember his glory from a couple weeks ago? What Jesus was talking about was that he would be returning to the glory that he had with the Father before creation, that as he ascended into heaven and sat at the throne on the throne of David, that he was returning to that glory and he's saying that we would see it, that he is with us now and he will be with us forever. He doesn't disassociate with us. He unites himself to his people. Friends, that is why we can be united to one another. Because we are united to the head. We are united to the king. This is what he does to us. He doesn't leave us. He unites us to himself for eternity. Now, there is something very, very romantic about living on your own, that lone wanderer in the wilderness. There is something romantic. But the truth is, is that the story of Chris McCandless is not romantic at all. There's actually nothing romantic about it. This boy, this young man who set out to live on his own, to wander and find life apart from others, he, he was last seen at the head of the Stampede Trail in Alaska. And a few months later, he was found, he was discovered, dead and alone. And amongst his possessions was found his journal. That's how we know a lot of things that happen. It's found his journal. We don't know how he died. There's debate even today. It's been years, but there's still debate. Maybe it was starvation. Maybe he ate something and it poisoned him. But amongst the pages of his journal, near the very end, scratched out in a broken sentence, he wrote, Happiness, only real when shared. You realize the importance of community. This one who sought to be rid of all other relationships, he realized in the end that he wasn't meant to be alone. And friends, neither are we. And the prayer, the good news of this prayer that Jesus offers for his people is that we are not. 
that Christ, out of his grace and his love for us, has not left us alone, but he has given us his people, united together in love and in witnessing truth to the Savior who has united us to himself. And so, friends, let us live out that unity. Let us be a witness to the world, to the power of the gospel, to unite people, to bring us together under one head, our Lord Jesus, who's united us to himself. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you that out of your grace and your kindness to us, you have shown us love and you have united us together in love. That you have united us together in Christ, our head. For apart from him, we would wander, we would flee. Apart from him, we would remain in our sins and under your judgment. And yet in your grace, you've united us to him so that we are free from sin. And we are free from lone wandering and are united to him and to one another. Help us to live that out to the glory of God our Father, in whose name we pray and God's people said together, Amen.